even in quarantine, voices that need to be heard will be heard. Welcome to Talking With Our Mouths Full. I'm Michael Chan. And I'm Nangil, and this is our Quarantine Capsule Special, everybody. Woo-hoo! Yeah! All right. Quarantine Capsule. So, Nangil, you have been working on this for a very long time now. So You're a part of this, too. This is why I am is a part of it. <laughs> yes, we are. And it has been great. Uh, it's great to be a part of this. But uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about this project of ours? Why, certainly the Quarantine Capsule, also known as the QQ, is an online archive, a time capsule, if you will, capturing snapshots of self-identifying Asian Canadians located in Ontario during the COVID-19 pandemic. This project is brought to you by T-Base in partnership with Museum of Toronto. Now, the Quarantine Capsule also has a mentorship program. Knight, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, certainly. The QQ Mentorship Program is curated by T-Base to help those who want to contribute to the QQ but unsure how. This widens the opportunity for Asian Canadians who are emerging artists or those without formal or any artistic training. So we host virtual meetings from our mentor team and the mentees will be able to create a piece for the QQ. So our mentees that we have featured today are Jason, Ira, and Karen. And who are the mentors? Mentors, we have Keith Locke, who is a Asian Canadian filmmaker. He's also a, a legend in Chinatown. We also have Joshua Aries, who we featured in our previous episode. Please check it out. And myself. You're a mentor. Well, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. You know, as your mentor, I am now happy to see you becoming a mentor yourself. Yeah. Do you need, do you need to be mentored, Michael? You know what? Maybe <laughs> I do. Maybe I do. Maybe you can finally uh, return to favor and mentor me back. I'd be down for that. Are you a good student, Michael? I'm a very good student. Would you be able to listen and handle me as your mentor? (laughs) Can you handle me? (laughs) Only time will tell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So, uh, Michael, I see you have food in front of you. What is that? Yes. Yes, I do. I today have some jerk chicken shawarma poutine that's a mouthful jerk. that is yeah. a talking yeah. with our mouths full so i uh first heard about chris jerk which is at 2570 birchmount road in scarborough i first heard about them in the newspaper and uh it was an article about their jerk chicken shawarma poutine and uh after reading that article i just had to have it so i went and got it I had to wait in line, mind you, a very COVID safe line for a very long time. And then I had to wait even longer just to get my food. And now it's here and my mouth is watering. But before I chow down, I do have to tell you all about the place. So it was opened in 2013 by Christopher Taylor, who came to Canada from Jamaica when he was 13 years old and had aspirations of becoming a chef. After being amazed by Toronto's diversity, Chris experimented and created a flavorful fusion, the jerk chicken shawarma poutine. It doesn't get any more Canadian than this, a traditional Canadian dish with cultural toppings added to it. This is definitely a dish you do not want to miss out on. So check out Chris Jerk in Scarborough. All right. You know what? I I can't wait. I got to, I just got to dig in. So. Yes, uh, you must talk with your mouth full. 
yes, I must talk with my mouth full. Let's jump right into our interviews with the QQ mentees. And here to introduce our first mentee is the voice of TWMF, Jessica. How are you doing? Good. I'm fantastic, actually. Happy to be here. Thank you for being a part of this QQ special. So who is the first mentee that we are interviewing? Ira Femeron. Awesome. Let's get to it. Hey, Ira. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. I'm very excited. Thank you so much, Knight and Michael, for having me. Nice to see you again. <laughs> yes, and, and thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down with us today. So um, let's start off big. Can you tell us a little bit about your project for the quarantine capsule? Yes. So my project, is it's a short film about my admiration and appreciation of my aunt's cooking. So basically how it came about was when the quarantine happened, when the lockdown started and when everything was taken away and I was just at home and I was pondering about my life. And I realized that when everything was taken away, I was left with the sounds of home, the sounds of the kitchen, the water boiling, the chopping board. And and then I come to realize that her cooking has become part of my everyday. Like it's part of who... I've become during the quarantine because to be honest, that was the only thing that I was looking forward to during the quarantine because I couldn't go out and I just graduated from school. And I've always been so impressed about how she can like come up with so many dishes and it's so good. My aunt is a good cook really. And so when I was brainstorming about like an idea pitch and what can I tell the quarantine capsule I'm like oh my like Tita Tita is aunt in Tagalog um my aunt's cooking is really so good I have to share it you know so when me Josh and Knight were talking about um what can how can I bring this idea come to life we've come we've like we were brainstorming about the themes about you know like okay my aunt's cooking is one thing but how can we really bring it to life you know so I thought about you know, I realized her power in the kitchen about her strength as a Filipina because she herself, she's so strong and like, how can we showcase it? You know, so I was really thinking about like her cooking and how it's tied to my identity as a Filipina and her identity as a Filipina and how uh, there's so much strength in being a woman and because we carry so much of this family lineage, family history of recipes, and yeah, we Nat was like, oh yeah, she's queen of the kitchen, Ira. You should like, you should definitely like showcase it. And I'm like, yeah, you should do that. And yeah, I think we did it. <laughs> we did. And then it became like a giant love letter to everybody and a big shout out to all the Filipina ladies. Yeah, it did. So yeah, I I think I'm really happy at, as to how it turned out. Turned out. So I'm, I'm curious, so you mentioned like this cooking and the sounds of the cooking, the smells of the cooking and all that became a part of your, your quarantine life. Uh, what about prior to uh, the pandemic? Like, was, was this something you kind of noticed less and it kind of got intensified during the pandemic? Yes, so basically I've always been so attentive to sound, you know, like to the sounds of like just the outside and like my everyday life. And I feel like before the pandemic, I was so 
busy juggling so many things so many like you know work and everything you know um like going to school going to work doing all types of things and then i don't really pay attention to i mean i i've i've pay attention to the sounds but then the sounds are so enmeshed and just so a lot of things going on but when the quarantine happened when everything was taken away and it's just silence it's just the laptop the computer the keyboard really allowed me to look internally and to like you know like what are the things that makes up my everyday it became more simpler which is like the water boiling the sounds of the chopping board so i'm like wow i was really able to see how my life has changed just through the sound and yeah yeah so have you have you made uh films or short films prior to the pandemic no i have not like i'm very amateur <laughs> but josh was re- josh is a really good mentor he's very patient and very humble so i'm very amateur in this film making but i've always loved telling stories and i also do a lot of art based research Um, so it's something that I realized it's just a uh, film filmmaking is just another outlet for me to really express my storytelling. Um, so I have not, but I'm very happy to explore this side of me because I realized that, you know, the visuals also have to really um, match what I'm saying and how can I really showcase it to the audience in a concise but clear way. Because sometimes as artists, you know, um, our ideas in our head are so clear. Like in my my idea in my head is so clear, but how can I communicate it and showcase it is another thing. So, Knight and Josh really taught me to do that clearly. <laughs> all we honestly did was just listen, and we just picked what was most important to you. That's all we did. <laughs> So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the the mentorship experience? What was it like uh, working with Joshua, uh, which is Joshua Aries, uh, filmmaker, and also uh, what he brought to your film? Ah, uh, oh my! How can I even start? Like Josh is one of the most humble filmmakers I've ever met, because you know I feel that. I feel that what makes it easy for both me and him is that being Filipino, he really identifies with all the all my ideas in my head. You know, like um, adobo, like cooking adobo. It's like yeah, do this, do that. Like he, because of our background is very similar, that makes it really easy to relate with him. And also, um, how like in terms of advising me and mentoring me, he already have pictures in his head because. He himself saw how his tita, his aunt or mom, cook in the kitchen. So he's like, "Yeah, Ira, you know, like you can do this, you can do that." So in terms of being Filipino, um, belonging in this diaspora in Canada really like um, made it easy for me and him to relate. And but at the same time, wow, it made me think about um, because me and Josh are Filipinos, but in Canada as well. So this kind of hyphenated identity. That we kind of like, like go along with. So I feel that we relate a lot with that because of this hyphenated identity. And um, but like we're so rooted in our Filipinoness as well. So he really taught me how to reclaim my Filipino, but then at the same time really relate with our hyphenated identity as Filipino. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So um, 
What was the uh, process like making your film? Why don't you tell us a bit about, like, for example, how did you film it? Uh, how was the editing and all of that? Oh, the processing is very interesting because I've never done those before. So um, Josh told me, like, because I, I, I think I'm a very good, like, storyteller, writer. So he taught me to write it down, write down what I want to say. Like, night was telling, like, a love letter almost. So I wrote it down and then Josh was like, why not in every sentence that you write, you draw a picture about how you're going to deliver it on the screen. So for example, there was this line about, does she know the power that she has? And in my head, I want to showcase it as her being in the kitchen, just doing her thing, you know? So in every line, Josh told me like, um, Ira, you know, you're a good writer. Um, in every line, draw it, and that's how I created my storyboard. Because storyboard was not is not something that I've not, I've done before. So um, storyboard, and in every line, draw it, and then after that, he said compile it in one um, paper. So you know I have those small images, but he said transfer it in a paper that are just all images. You know, so shot number one, shot number two, shot number three. So when I was filming, I know it very clearly because it's in one piece of paper and it's in these small boxes. So I'm like, wow, filmmakers think like this? I didn't even know that. That's like amazing, next level kind of artistry. Um, but Josh is really good at articulating his ideas and he's good in really mentoring me in that way. Um, and then after that, shooting-wise, um, I shot it within um, in a span of three days because my aunt has her own menu so I'm like you know I was telling her Tita you have to show adobo adobo is the most Filipino dish ever so if you don't cook it that's a bit you know but even when I tell her to do all this she doesn't know what I'm doing you know she's like what are you doing I'm like just relax you're gonna see the final piece later it's like okay she, she cooks adobo so the first day she cooked adobo but then on the second day, I filmed um, us eating in the dining table. So it's very hard because I also want to showcase us eating together. So I had to film it in different days to make sure that I make the I have the good shots in there. And then once I have all the shots, after those three days, I edited it. I really sat down. I used um, all my editing capabilities to edit the video. Um, but yeah, it turned out good because I prepared well. Like Josh really gave me a lot of pointers on how to like storyboarding and in terms of like the camera, the camera techniques, he, he showed me links to like, okay, Ira, you can probably look at Edgar Wright, like how he does his shots and like whip pan. I learned a lot of vocabulary about whip pan and I'm like, what's whip pan? It's like, oh, it's basically, you know, when you, wish this thing and like it makes you like as a way to transition to another like place or another time like oh that's another thing and what is that night like folly what is folly or oh folly like remember we had to um it's the sound and you can yeah, use the sound editing yeah yeah oh yeah because joshua was advising me like are you have to also insert like the sound of the birds the sound of the the chopping board so i have to record them also apart like apart from the original recording like folly like mm -hmm. another term something like that but yeah 
uh, I think I I was able to film it very like smoothly because I was well prepared in advance. What did you film on? Oh, I just used my iPhone. Okay, that's impressive because the film <laughs> looks amazing. So oh my. good work. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Yeah, How I just did... used my camera and my um, tripod. How did your your aunt and your family react to you just walking around with your camera filming all day for three days? Um, they were very confused because I refused to tell them what is happening. Because by telling them, you know, there's no more surprise. So they were saying, they're so used to me doing lots of projects. So they kind of just, you know, they're like, oh yeah, another project she's probably working on. Like, you know, but um, I kind of showed them already because I, after everything, when everyone was at home um, and they were watching a movie, I'm like, I stopped the movie and I'm like, hold up everyone, something is happening. And they're like, what? So in the living room, two of my cousins were there um, one of my uncle, no, two of my uncles were there, two of my aunt, and then I'm like, hold up. And they're like, what, what? Okay, I'm just going to play something. And then I played it, and everyone was like, what? They were so happy because I, because my family, they really, they're very proud of our province and the fact that I inserted the clip of our province and me going back to the province, they're like, oh my, where did you get that shot? Like, I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it. They, they're like, they open their Facebook right away and they want to share it. I'm like, relax. Um, my Zoom Tron hasn't even posted it. Quarantine camera hasn't even posted it. And they're like, okay, please tell us because we're going to put it on our Facebook. And I feel like within the Filipinos and Titas, Facebook is a very big thing, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. they want to share it right away. They want to showcase to all their friends that they're in this film and I'm like just relax first let them post it <laughs> well I'm glad they really liked it because uh honestly it brought a tear to my eye and uh it's just it's so good so powerful um so okay what is the name of your film because I don't want to called... say it because I can't pronounce it <laughs> it's called Anong Olam Tita it means um what's for dinner or what did you cook tita something like that yeah do you uh do you see yourself making more films moving forward I think I do I really like it um um but in terms of in terms of what's gonna be my role in the future I feel that I do want to be a writer or maybe something along the lines of like the storyteller I don't know what you call that but because I strongly feel that my filming skills are not that good, but I do want to be part of the whole brainstorming storytelling. And I really want to be part of um, telling my story as a Filipino, like as a Filipino who immigrated here, because I feel that as, um, as I stay here for a bit, we are like the fourth growing minority in Canada, but we still remain invisible in so many ways in the social, um, economic, in media even. And I'm like, why is it like that when we've been here for such a long time? So I feel like as youth, as upcoming artists, we really have to be very proactive in telling our stories in our own perspective, in our own skin, because um, it's important to really um, solidify what it means to be Filipino and what it means to have a hyphenated identity. I feel like, you know, because our parents, 
I'm my parents didn't migrate here, but they're like immigrants as well. But like you know, our parents they're so good in assimilating, assimilating in the new culture. I'm just speaking for as Filipinos. Um, they're so good in assimilating the new culture that um, the Filipino and the Canadianness become so enmeshed that it's so hard to tell what is Filipino and what is Canadian. You know, so I feel that we as artists we need to tell more stories about how can we reclaim what it means to be Filipino in a decolonized kind of way, in a way that is very just us and in a narrative that is originally by us, you know? So I feel that I can definitely see myself do more of this just so that, you know, if just so that more more younger versions of myself in the future, I, I can probably pass this and like, you know, so that we still remain rooted to our roots our history so yeah thank you quarantine capsule for having this this is such a cool thing and yeah thank you <laughs> so uh as we're winding down what does the quarantine capsule and what they're doing what does it mean to you um it means it means a lot because i feel that growing up i um i'm not used to kind of you know I feel that as Filipinos, we're always used to allowing other people to tell the story for us. You know, it's like there's this thing, there's this word called hiya, like shy. We know we're very shy to tell our stories. We're always like, oh, maybe this person can tell my story kind of thing. Um, but I feel that quarantine capsule really allowed me to like, no, I don't want other people to tell my story. I can tell my own story in my own way. And even though I'm not a filmmaker, I'm far from that. But, you know, there are mentors out here who can help me tell my own story. So it means a lot because it really allows me to have the agency to tell my own story, not in another person perspective, not in a big company kind of perspective, but in my own story, in my own way. So, yeah. Thank you, Quarantine Capsule. Yes, thank you. All right, so the last question. If people want to follow your journey and connect with you online, how can they do that? Yes, um, I'm very active on Instagram. So it's Francesca, F-R-A-N-C-H-E-S-X-C-A on Instagram. Um, I, don't, I don't have a website yet, but maybe that will be coming up in the future. So yeah, maybe just on Instagram for now. Thank you very much. We, again, want to thank you for taking the time to sit down with us to talk about your experience with the quarantine capsule with making your film. And uh, we hope you uh, enjoyed yourself today as well. Thank you. I did. Thank you so much, Michael and Knight. All right. You're very welcome. Uh, you have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye, Knight. Bye, Michael. Wow, that was a great interview, Michael. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Ira was a lot of fun to chat with and her film is just absolutely excellent. Now, her interview and all the upcoming interviews you're about to hear wouldn't be possible without the QQ and the QQ is hosted on the Myzeum of Toronto website. Jessica, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about Myzeum? Okay. Myzeum of Toronto is Toronto's Museum Without Walls. It's an organization that hosts amazing programs and showcases the history, people, and spaces that represent Toronto. We here at TWMF are thankful for Myzeum's partnership that has allowed for the QQ to have a place to live online. Yes, thank you so much, Myzeum. You guys are awesome. 
Now, Jessica, who is the next mentee that we're interviewing? The next mentee is Jason Wong. Hey, uh, Jason, what's up? Hey, everyone. Good to see you guys. How are you? Hi, Jason. Nice to meet you. I'm good. Yourself? Excellent. You know, looking forward to the snow falling and I... And disappearing again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a winter baby, so I love the winter. I cannot wait for winter to come so I I can build a snowman. Do you feel like yourself building in strength as, yeah, as the cold yeah, comes? Like, it's like it's like it's like the slow build of a Dragon Ball power. It's like oh, it. all, <laughs> as winter is coming. <laughs> oh man! So thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I mean, I think it's something that's so important to so many of us, uh, especially with these kind of challenging times we're in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just glad to be here. All right, so let's let's start with a uh, a simple question. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your project? Sure. So, you know, when I saw what QQ was trying to put together, uh, for me, my uh, my background is Chi- is Chinese Canadian, and it's something that I've had a lot of conversations with internally uh, throughout my kind of whole life adventure and living in a different country. So my project is called COVID Rhythms, and it's how I expressed my family's experience in Canada through Chinese lion dance drums. And uh, like Chinese martial arts and wushu and lion dance drumming is something that's been with me since I was five years old. Uh, So that's something I've been kicking around for over 20 years. And it's, I I wanted to bring something that meant so much to me uh, and, and tie that in with how our family's experiencing COVID right now. So tell us a bit about the uh, the process of making your your video. Because there was like there was a lot of outdoor shots, but then I noticed there was wardrobe change. Was it shot over a few days? Like how did you make it? Sure. So we we put this all together in pretty much one day. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it was it was a, a huge effort from from our side to get it all done uh, quickly. Uh, we had really a really great support from the Chinese Cultural Center out in Scarborough. And they helped support us by, by uh, loaning us their drum and their equipment. And it's something that I've, I personally have a, a long relationship with them. I used to perform and do wushu uh, for their events. Uh, so, you know, building on what we've had together, uh, we were able to put that this video together quickly. And, you know, I, I think that kind of synonymous with how we're living now, there's so many ups and downs and with the weather and the lighting and and in the video you see that there's lots of ups and downs and i think it's a really apt reflection of of the time that we're living in now so what uh in terms of your your martial arts was it something originally that your parents got you into or was it something you asked for as a little kid or how'd you get into it yeah well you know my mom and dad came over from hong kong uh quite a long time ago and in in kind of in the background of, of our family room, we'd always have the TV or a movie on, say by Jackie Chan, and that kind of influence was always like a background chord in my life. And when I was five, my parents just took me to a a, a kung fu school and put me in there. And you know, 20 years later, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> uh, it's I, I find that what it means to be Chinese Canadian or what it means to be whatever culture you're from, really has a lot to do with how you like, put, express that or do things in your life. 
And I, I think that for me, martial arts and lion dance drumming is a really powerful way to show off creativity using my body or using an instrument. Who was, uh, who was your Sifu? So I first started off in a school called Chengwa, uh, and this was in Scarborough. And uh, our, my Sifu then was a, a man called uh, Lai Jiwai. And since then, I've, I've, I've moved on to several different schools, including some uh, trips to China to train with professional Wuxia athletes, uh, which was grueling. It was incredibly uh, demoralizing to see nine-year-olds with these six-packs, you know, <laughs> when you're there as a 20-year-old and they're running laps around you. <laughs> and uh, have you done the lion dance yourself or did you only do drumming? So I, I've, I've been involved in all the different roles of the lion dance. I think the first one I ever did wasn't when I was in grade three, you know, to explain what Chinese New Year's uh, was to my classmates in school. And that's something that I, I think that's always like really important to be able to articulate and express what Chinese culture is to people and introduce it to them in a way that they can get involved. Uh, and in a lion dance, so we, so we have the persons on the instruments, that could be the drummer, the cha-cha, the cymbals, or the gong, uh, and you also have the lion head and the lion tail. And because, you, because I've had the experience of being in each of those different parts, you understand like how closely you, uh, you have to coordinate as a team and work together as a team to make it all come together. Moving on to something just a little bit different, but still part of your project. You, you mentioned coming back to Canada, so you've traveled. Where were you and where else have you been? Sure. Well, by, my background in terms of professional life is as an international development worker. <laughs> so over the, uh, the last four years, I've been representing Canada in Central Asia, which means Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan. And so there, uh, we're working with these Canadian agencies and our local partners to improve schools, to, to make sure that some people, some families are able to send their kids to preschool or to kindergarten, uh, to make, to make sure that people have access to clean water or, or clean washrooms. These kind of essential things, um, that really as an individual, you, you're saying, how can I represent Canada in a way, you know, that these people in these different communities can, can understand? Especially when, when you look at my face, I have a Chinese looking face and you always have these questions like, are you really Canadian? Uh, I think you're a spy from China, you know, <laughs> and, and <laughs> explaining the, the, the kind of diversity that we have in Canada and what, and really questioning yourself, what does identity mean to you? Uh, is something that you encounter every day. And so, you know, I was in Central Asia for four years and I just recently, you know, just before COVID started, uh, managed to come back to Canada with my family, uh, who I met when I was in Kazakhstan. Wow. So like, why did you come back to Canada? So part of, I mean, the, the easy answer is to say, uh, uh, to, to give opportunities and, and, uh, to try to like build a family in a area that I'm comfortable with, mm -hmm. uh, to my, to my, for my wife and my son, which who are both from Kazakhstan. There are, always strong ties of family of having having uh, my, my own family back in, in toronto and being close to that uh, because there's a lot there's lots of moments that you miss when you're gone and i think that we can all relate to that we've missed you know our little sister's birthday or our our our, our dad's you know like work anniversary some in these important moments that you don't realize how important they are until you're gone and you and you don't have them so you come back and then we have a pandemic 
how is your uh, family adjusting to life in Canada amid a pandemic? Wow. You know, I, I think that we all have these incredible responses to how, you know, deeply we've been affected by COVID. In my particular case, actually, I feel like my experience living in Central Asia uh, was a kind of a, a pale imitation of what COVID is like now. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you find yourself in Kyrgyzstan, people don't speak English. <laughs> Everyone is speaking Russian or Kyrgyz. And because of that, you know, you, you're already in a way isolated from other people. And they, they have a different cultural understanding uh, from you. Uh, part of it is like you have to find your bearings. Um, you're not quite sure of who to trust or who to turn to for help. And I, I think that those are a lot of the same feelings that we might feel here in, in, in Toronto uh, because we're going under a lockdown again, for example. So I, I actually find that some of the, the lessons and friendships that I've made in ab abroad in Central Asia helped my family adjust to life uh, in Canada. That's good to hear. Um, how have you been adjusting to the pandemic? <laughs> well, I, I think that in, in a really fundamental way, I'm, I'm grateful for this project and for QQ uh, for putting this together and also my mentor Nightingale uh, because I think, okay, here we are as, as a family and we're nearly settled in, in Toronto and we haven't had the chance to make contacts or to meet people because we've been limited so much uh, by social distancing and, and the lockdown. And at the same time, we're trying to, you know, be true to ourselves and, and in my wife's case or my child's case, in my child's case, uh, like what, what their character, their personality is like from Kazakhstan and things like QQ are so critically important because they let people have a platform to really share um, themselves, to express themselves and their frustrations. You know, I, I think that as a newcomer from my, from my family, that there are lots of things that don't make sense in Canada. There's tons of things that are bizarre. English is, English is a monster. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, like the rule I before E, except for the word weird. <laughs> and even then, there's like so many other exceptions to that, to that exact rule as well, right? Uh, so being able to uh, turn back turn uh, back towards drumming, which is something I started when I was five years old, and being able to tie in and connect all the experiences I've had while traveling abroad and working abroad um, helps me bring like continuity to to my life and my thoughts. Let's talk about uh, the mentorship. What was it like working with Nightingale and uh, what did she bring to your project? You can pretend that I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm curious. I, I know what it's like working with her. I just want to hear what someone else feels about working with her. <laughs> she held an ax over my head and it was... <laughs> <laughs> All the truth is coming out, guys. This is a great episode. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think one of the great things about about having a, a mentorship, and you know, as a whole, it was incredibly positive. Uh, it's just the fact that someone is is willing to sit down and and take the time to listen to your individual story. You know, at a fundamental level, even if we're not talking about making a podcast or anything. Is that as a friend, right? You want someone that is there to listen and understand where you're coming from, uh, 
and and then and then like building on that to see what what you can like make go uh, going forward. So I really value that because from my perspective, you know, I was I was gone for a long time and I didn't I might have like fallen out of touch or not understand um, how things are like back in Toronto, and I have all these like memories of riding in like Soviet cars and 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 uh, and like fermented horse milk that I, from from Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan that I was unsure if you would relate back to people in Canada and having a mentor like Ben and Gil there to to listen and to help like redirect that message into ways that would be understandable or, or like relatable to people back back home in Canada uh, like meant the world to me. And so, you know, a, a large part of how this message came through in the in the final video uh, was because of this feedback and this mentorship. Oh, thank you. In terms of, uh, is this the first uh, short film you've ever made or have you made films before? I've got a face built for podcasts. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not that much of a video person. Like I've been involved before with a national volunteer program called Katimovic. Mm -hmm. uh, they still run now. And it's essentially you're, you're sent across the country for six or to, to nine months to volunteer. Uh, it's a fantastic program. So, you know, I've done video ads with them before. Uh, but my most recent work is mostly audio, which included doing a voice acting for a, a Kazakh film uh, oh, wow. about this, this, this romance uh, between two uh, people that are handicapped and the kind of the challenges they face. And that was the English uh, dub over for that. So, you know, I enjoy storytelling through through podcasts, through through an audio format, uh, because it takes it takes advantage of the subtleties of the human voice. <laughs> but now that you have made COVID rhythms, do you see yourself moving forward making more films of this kind, or are you going to stick more with something audio in the future? You know, for, for me, the, the format is really quite open uh, because of my professional background is also something I'd like to do in terms of like data journalism. Um, but what I can say is, is this, I, I think that the, the medium is always going to be fluid, whether it's through video, through podcast, through like uh, drawings. Uh, but I'm interested in taking these kinds of really old traditions or concepts. So let's say drumming, you know, which is two thousand, like thousands of years old and saying, okay, we have these ancient ways of doing things. What are the pieces of it that we can bring uh, that will bring us joy or something new to our modern lives now in 2020 or 2021? So uh, as we start drawing this to a close, you've touched on this before, but what does the QQ and what the QQ is doing mean to you? Well, <laughs> so 2020 has been such a year of tumult and, and massive change. And I, I think one of the largest social movements this year has been Black Lives Matter. You know, it's a thing that has dominated the streets around the world and, and uh, the, the radio waves as well. And among that, Chinese or Asian Canadians have always been cast as kind of a model group, the, the straight A students in, in the in the in Canada's classroom. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> even if you want to call that a positive stereotype, there, there is a lot of like that, there's a lot of diversity and space underneath that kind of facade, you know, that is not uh, portrayed. 
and I think that since COVID came out, uh, that we've kind of torn that facade away. Uh, we've been seeing these cases of racism, or these these cases of how people look at Asian Canadians differently. And things like UQ are important to me because they they speak to the fact that yes, we are we or as Asian Canadians, we are different, but that's something to be valued. That there is an intrinsic like benefit to listening to people that are different from you, you know, whether that be like learning about a new recipe or a new like fantastic Jamaican uh, uh, food restaurant down the street from you or, or learning a new skill. Uh, that's, I think that's the whole promise. That's the whole vision of Canada and what it means to be Canadian is that we see how different we are and we think that's our strength. That's what we can give to the world. And, you know, in, in this, in this, in, in this creative sphere, I think QQ is contributing to that vision of Canada. I absolutely agree. So last question, how can people find you online? And is there anything uh, you want to give a shout out to or you would like to promote? <laughs> Here we go. Of course. So again, I, I would want to say thank you to, to Nightingale for the mentorship and for QQ for putting this together and also for the Chinese Cultural Center for their support uh, with, yeah. the, with the drums. <laughs> I, for, for those that you know are really interested in finding a way to share their voice and to rediscover these kinds of ancient uh, traditions and how they fit into our lives, uh, I, I'd strongly recommend that you try Chinese lion dance drumming. I, I, am, I, I can tell you over 20 years of, of, of experience, this is something that's helped me incredibly uh, to get over things such as bullying, uh, racism, or just being healthy or being an active and the best version of myself. And for those that want to get uh, get an introduction of this, uh, I invite you to try out my course uh, online, which is at insightmartialarts.thinkific.com. All right. Thank you so much, Jason. We uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. And uh, yeah, that that's just such an amazing, amazing film that you made. And it's just so incredibly powerful. And uh, I hope everyone gets a chance to watch it. Thank you guys. Uh, 100% believe in what we're doing here and uh, only wish the best of luck for you guys going forward. Thank you so much. You take care. Have a good day. So, Michael, are you going to take lion dance drumming classes? Maybe I will. Maybe I will. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun and it is a part of my culture. But hey, did I tell you about the time back in Chinese school when they tried to make me do lion dance and I don't know how to do lion dance, but I did know how to do karate, although I was just a white belt and that was their justification for it? No. Okay, I'll save that for another time. But now let's talk about another major part of the QQ, which is T-Base. Jessica? T-Base is a community art space located in the heart of Chinatown, hosting accessible programs in and around the community. Thank you, T-Base, for your part in making the QQ a reality and for continuing to give a voice to those who need it. Yes, thank you very much. Now on to our final mentee, who is... Karen Law! Hi, Karen, how's it Hi, going? Karen. Hi, how is everyone? Good, I'm good, thank you. Well, that's good to hear. And uh, how has the pandemic been for you? pandemic has been a huge curveball. <laughs> um, my year has been quite a whirlwind. I've moved twice. Oh, wow. So yeah, so moving during the moving by itself alone is not enjoyable. 
or I don't yeah. enjoy it at least. And so added the pandemic, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a lot to say the least. Where did you, uh, where did you start off and then where did you move to? Yeah. So I started in Kingston. I was finishing my teaching degree at Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was living in residence actually, cause I was working, um, for the school as a residence Dawn. And then oh. the pandemic hit. Yeah. The pandemic hit. And then basically school went online and there was really no need for residences anymore. They actually asked um, people to leave residence. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I left, I went back home to my family home in Markham. And then in May, um, I decided to move out um, with my partner and then we moved to the city. So now I'm in Toronto. Oh, wow. That's quite the, the wow, Kingston and Markham to Toronto. So yeah, a lot of moving, a lot, <laughs> yeah, of, moving. A lot of moving. So uh, your project that you did uh, with the quarantine capsule uh, it's kind of, uh, in a way about that move. So how about, uh, you tell us a little bit about, uh, your project starting with the name and then what it is. Sure. So my project title is called cooking with a master chef. Um, and it's kind of a play it. on words. Oh, thank you. It's kind of a player pun on Ama, which is my grandma. Um, so I grew up with my grandma. She lives with us in our family home in Markham. And she really had a big part in raising me just because of my parents both worked full time. So picking me up after school and kind of watching me um, was my grandma and also like making sure we were fed at night. And, you know, we had really delicious meals every night. That was all my grandma's doing. Um, So, yeah, it was kind of the whole video project really revolves around her and I's conversation. at the beginning of the project, I wanted to find a way to kind of capture my experience of being in downtown and kind of living away from my family. Um, and for the first time having to really cook for myself, which I found was kind of that connection to home. Um, and the reason why, like I said, I was a Dawn, so I never had my own kitchen when I was in university. I was eating cafeteria food for the last, you know, three, four years, which is quite bland, not very delicious. <laughs> And also being in Kingston, um, I think the quality and the selection is quite different than here in Toronto. So again, it was all about, um, yeah, cooking and finding connection through cooking. So the video really is just about myself, my grandma talking and her teaching me how to cook. So you were born in Canada? Yeah. So I was born in Canada. Both my parents are immigrants. Mm -hmm. So Quite, it's kind of crazy, but my dad was um, born in Hong Kong, raised in Hong Kong. Then he moved to the U.S. to go to school. So he actually, um, yeah, he went to school in the U.S. He lived in Texas for a good wow. chunk of his sort of young adult life. Um, so when he was my age, he was in Texas. So I have a ton of cousins and aunts and uncles who still live in Texas. Um, and then he immigrated to Canada and got his citizenship here. And that's where he met my mom. But my mom wasn't born in Canada either. Again, I said she was an immigrant. So she was actually born in Calcutta, India. Oh, wow. um, yeah, she's Chinese, but her family was born in, uh, well, they lived in Calcutta, India until she was like about 16 years old. And then she moved to Hong Kong, lived there for a while. And then her and her family immigrated to Canada. She found work here. Um, her first few jobs were in downtown Toronto, kind of in the same area that I'm living in now. 
So every time like she comes downtown to visit me or like when she drops me off here, she's always like, oh, I worked here. I lived just around the corner from here. So that's interesting. She, yeah. And then she met my dad in, um, in, in Canada, in Toronto. And then, yeah, now they have three kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, That's cool. That's cool. So growing up, um, I noticed your Cantonese is really good. So did you speak it predominantly? I'm, I'm shocked that you said that, like shocked because listening back, I was telling this tonight and, and to my other mentor, Keith, that I like, when I hear myself speak Cantonese, I feel like I'm so elementary level, like just only very basic level. So to hear you say that, thank you for saying that. that means well, a lot. Here, here's the thing about, so I, I'm also born in Canada. Uh, mind you, I spoke Cantonese at home most of the time because my parents wanted me to know the language. And I'm, I'm about, I would say, 80% fluent in speaking. I can't read or write. Uh, but most people like us who are born here uh, either cannot speak or speak very little and their accents are extremely heavy. And I was I was amazed at, yeah, there's a little bit of an accent there, but it's it, it go it goes away a lot like a lot of times you're actually pretty accurate and you're like I I have that too I sometimes think that my I like when I talk I like my grammar is wrong despite being fluent but my grammar is where my problems lie and yeah you have I, I would say the same kind of issues as me but you're understandable and you're actually maintaining a conversation with your grandmother and I think that's very important because so many of us who are born here and born in the States can't do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, my ability to speak Cantonese really, I have to give that credit is really just to my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, like I said, you know, sh- I grew up with her and so that she can't speak English or she understands, but she, it's a very limited um, she has a limited like ability to speak English. I think she doesn't speak it, but she can actually understand more than she leads on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, primarily it's just speaking Cantonese with her. Growing up, I loved watching like Channel 36, like Bear Child TV. <laughs> They're sort of like soap operas that were always yeah. on, but like right after the news would kind of have like a double feature. Like they'd always have two back-to-back episodes kind of thing. Um and I loved watching that growing up. And I remember as a kid being like, oh, I need, I want to like stay up later. It was always like 10 o'clock was my bedtime. And if I was lucky, I'd be able to watch the second episode kind of thing. And so I think growing up with that has allowed me to like be able to practice my language, which I'm really, really lucky. Um, but again, after kind of high school moving to Kingston, um, there was really no one to speak Cantonese with, right? Like, no none of my friends obviously spoke the language I was able to find a really small community kind of really unlikely and kind of random but I played varsity ultimate frisbee and on my team I just yeah really random but I had um, teammates who also spoke Cantonese so I found like a really small pocket of friends that I could speak with and often it wasn't like um, you know we're intentionally practicing our language but it was just being able to like banter and kind of be goofy and, you know, use our language Mm -hmm. that like familiarity is really comforting. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the extent of my like language practice is really primarily speaking to my parents and my, my grandma. That's cool. So uh, 
did your your practice of culture extend to other parts of your life like did you have did does your family practice uh Chinese traditions, celebrations, stuff like that? Yeah, I'd say all the celebrations revolve around like food. Um, meals is the biggest yep. one. So yeah, like we actually a few years ago, um, my aunt uh, was like moving from her house. And she had this beautiful, like circle table, like dining room table, that's a circle. And very similar to like, if you were to go to like, you know, a Chinese banquet hall or any Chinese restaurant, right? Like, the style of eating is in that kind of big circle because everything's shared, right? It's family yeah. style. And so they gave us this, um, she gave us this table because she was downsizing. And now we have it in our living room, in our, sorry, our uh, dining room. And so these family meals have just become even more elaborate than like when I was growing up, it feels like, because we can fit more people, you know, around the circle table. The table has a lazy Susan on it, right? Like how grand is that and um yeah like chinese new year is always a huge deal in our house um the autumn moon festival is always really big um and so those traditions are really important because i have like obviously memories of it when i was growing up and like eating these foods but then now that i actually can be part of making these foods i wouldn't say i'm you know the best at it at all my brother is really the chef in our house mm -hmm. but being able to sort of be a part of it all now not as a child but really like as an adult is really special and also like bringing my partner into it as well like he's not Chinese so when he sits down at the family table it's interesting because now we're actually talking about like the origin of all of these festivals and what these festivals actually mean Whereas before it was like, oh, yeah, we just get to eat really good food. Now we're actually like discussing and talking about it. And even things that I didn't know, like this last um, moon, autumn moon festival was the first time I learned like actually the myth and sort of why we celebrate it. So, yeah, it's pretty important to our family, I'd say. So growing up uh, when it comes to food, I mean, you had lots of delicious food in your life, but did you ever think to learn to cook it when you were growing up or is this more of a recent thing? I'd say it's definitely a recent thing. I started really appreciating food, I would say, end of high school going into university. When I was growing up, I actually really resented Chinese food, to be honest. And I think that was just um, a result of like growing up in a predominantly white area, um, going to school with people who look different than me and whose lunches were different than me. And like being teased and made fun of because my food was different. Mm. And so I actually like, if I were able to choose that night for dinner, I would always be like Swiss chalet or like something really bland. Like now that would be really bland to me. Um, but yeah, I did not appreciate it at all until I got really to high school and university, especially when I got to university and realized how terrible cafeteria food was and how much I missed home and how much I missed like white rice with soy sauce and like then I really started to appreciate it um when I was in second year I lived off campus so I did have a kitchen and that's when I was like okay I need to be able to cook for myself obviously to eat and live but also cooking and eating foods that were familiar to me especially those foods from home like that was just so important to me and really helped me a lot mm -hmm. um and then now that I'm living on my own then in Toronto it's like it's really important for me to be able to cook food that is familiar to me and that like tastes good.
So in your in your short film, your ama is is teaching you to cook eggplants. Uh, has she taught you to cook other stuff as well? Yeah, she definitely has. Um, it was kind of hard actually for this video thinking of like what I was going to cook. Um, we she's taught me quite a few times fried rice, so like that I can do pretty confidently now. Um, and then also recently she we talked about doing. Um, soy sauce chicken so when you like cook the chicken in the soy sauce um so yeah those are like some things that i have like pretty consistently can do is is facetiming the way she normally teaches you nowadays yeah facetime is really like what i do even if i'm not um asking for a specific recipe but about like how to cook something so like, for example, if I'm like marinating meat and I don't know what to put in the marinade, then I'll just FaceTime her really quick and she'll tell me, she'll remind me of like things I need or yeah, ingredients, skills. Yeah. Is it, FaceTime is, it is our primary. <laughs> is it challenging for what do you mean? To, in to, terms to, of like... to learn to cook via FaceTime or do you find this to be because, you know, a lot, a lot of times people always talk about like, oh man, I'm going to have to go home to to learn to cook from my parents or my grandparents. But now we have this technology. And I think in a way, the pandemic has made us really realize the potential of the technology. But I'm just curious for you, using it to learn to cook from someone from a different generation, has it been challenging? Or do you find it, you know, to be fairly easy for you? Yeah, for me, I haven't run into too many problems with it. And I think this won't be everyone's experience, but I'm just really lucky that my grandma is really tech savvy. Like she is able to like pick up the phone and call me like on FaceTime. She can, I can call her and she can pick up. She has two devices at home where we kind of like, you know, because she has all kids around the world. So it was really important for her to be able to connect with them. And with this, uh, you know, technology available, obviously her children. So my aunts and uncles were really quick to like get her into, you know, the iPad and the iPhone. She has both, you know, she keeps one upstairs and one downstairs. Cause obviously she's not, she's not very mobile going up and down the stairs. Right. So, you know, if a call goes off in the living room, she can just walk to the kitchen, you know, where her iPad is, or, you know, if she's sitting in her chair in her bedroom, her phone's always there kind of thing. So I'm just really lucky that she's tech savvy. So the challenges, you know, that you would think, you know, they don't really happen for me. Um, but the, I guess the nice thing about being able to call my grandma anytime is that kind of like in the video, what happens if you've seen it is that, you know, just naturally things really organically turn into a conversation about other things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so me calling my grandma or using almost like as an excuse, you know, being like, Oh, I'm going to call my grandma and ask her about a recipe always turns into something more, which is really special. And I'm sure that would happen if I'm cooking with my grandma in a kitchen as well. But oh, absolutely. But it's less, there's a less of an ability to actually micromanage my cooking so mm. that other things can happen, like having a conversation about just what's happening in our family. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the actual process of making your film. How long did it take? You know, the editing actually. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you have to do it more than once? Yeah, so the whole process was quite extended, um, not necessarily because of, 
you know, things that are happening with the project, but just because of like my own personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really lucky that my the mentorship team, so both Keith and Knight were so flexible with everything and were so understanding. Um, but basically we started, Knight, do you remember when we actually started the whole project? Like what month it I was? I think we started um, November, beginning of November. Okay, so it's been quite a while. I'm, I know it was supposed to be like... <laughs> a three week thing, but it kind of, it really stretched out. But basically, um, yeah, we, Knight and I and Keith started brainstorming about um, what was important to me and sort of what was my experience, obviously, during the whole, you know, COVID. Um, And then I I boiled it down really to wanting to make this about like me and my grandma and about food. Um, So then I basically thought of what I wanted to cook and then just called up my grandma. I I had previously kind of got all the ingredients ready. So I knew what I needed. Um, But again, it was about the process of like how to actually put everything together, like all the food, all the items. So I set up multiple cameras. I had um, my iPhone and then I had like an iPad. So I just basically screen recorded our conversation. And then I had my phone as a secondary camera to record me as if I was like actually cooking um it was all done in one take um which was pretty cool and I didn't have to call her again for anything else um I ran into a little bit of issues with sound I didn't know that when you screen record it only records screen should have known that it doesn't record sound um so the sound in the actual video is really just the sound on the secondary camera or my phone um it's we're just really lucky we live in a time when the tech is really good so the quality of the sound isn't too bad um yeah I was just really lucky with that and then the editing process was uh, ran into a a few problems I just I'm not very um well versed I guess in video editing I'm an artist myself but I'm not a video artist at all I'm a painter and a printmaker so everything I do is analog I don't do anything digital So it was a bit of a learning curve. I tried to use Adobe um, Premiere Pro and then realized it's way too difficult. I won't be able to learn it all. So then I kind of used a version, which is, I guess, geared more for just making quick, short videos. Elements? Um, It's called No Rush. It's like even like more (laughs) easier. Yeah, it's, I think it's actually designed, they have a, basically you can do it on your phone. Like that's how easy it is. Like you can, yeah yeah do it on your phone so it's very very um like watered down so I was just able to basically make things so that I cut it so that I mark my conversation with my grandma was like close to a half hour long the video is only four minutes long so I had to really like pick and choose what parts of our conversation were really important to me so that was very difficult but again it was easy in terms of the actual doing it because you can just kind of snip and cut and things like that so that I could manage um And then I kind of, once I had that um, sort of rough copy, I guess you could call it, all put together. And then I showed my mentors. We talked about it more. Um, You know, I fixed, you know, the end bits and kind of made sure it was everything I wanted. And then the last part really was just adding subtitles um, and that I was able to do in um, Premiere Pro, but that was easy. Like I could just find that online, which again, thankful for the internet for being able to Mm -hmm. like teach me how to do all these things right so yeah that's about it you're not uh normally a video artist so what's made you choose to use this format for this piece 
Yeah, so the project itself, like the QQ is intended, I think, to do, be like a video format. Um, most of the submissions are videos. And because this was a mentorship program and, you know, it was just an opportunity to be able to experiment and do something completely different with the help of someone who's an expert, right? So it was kind of an opportunity that when I came across it, I was like, this seems really amazing. Like it's an environment where you get to share your ideas, your experiences, and get support from people who know what they're doing and kind of guide you in the, the whole process. So it was kind of a no brainer to, you know, just jump into it and experiment, really. Do you see yourself uh, making more videos in the future? I hope so. I have so far gotten really good feedback. I don't know if that's just because my grandma is an absolute star. So everyone just loves her. Um, or if it's like, maybe I can do videos. I'm not, I haven't quite distinguished. And I love her. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. So, <laughs> I haven't been, I haven't distinguished between the two yet, but um, even like I sent the video um, to my family members yesterday and then my dad sent it to his siblings and then his siblings sent it to my cousin. And then my cousin texted me and was like, I want more videos <laughs> kind of thing. So I think there is definitely a really good chance that um, I want to continue experimenting with like video storytelling, especially because in my art, a lot of the themes are really similar to my video, but it just got to the theme a different way. And especially like I'm an abstract painter and an abstract print printmaker. I use a lot of images of food in my work, but I don't ever use um, like people. I don't use figures in my work. And so doing a video where I'm just talking to people that was really different, but it was still really, really effective. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely think I'm not done, you know, I'm not done experimenting yet with, with video storytelling. So let's talk about the mentorship process. What was it like working with Keith uh, and what kind of input did he have in terms of your project? Yeah, it was definitely a, a very pleasant experience. Um, I didn't really know what to expect going in, especially because I have such limited understanding about um, this medium. But he was really supportive, I'll be honest. Really, any, any of my ideas, he was able to sort of help me give me tips on how to bring that more to life. Um, and he also would bring up things that maybe I wasn't aware of because I'm so you know new to this medium um, and kind of give me the language and the skills to like really bring it to life. So yeah, I'd say that. And I know Nightingale also helped as well. What was it like working with her? She's very, very fun, very bright. She brings a lot of energy. <laughs> I think it's really nice. Every time I would kind of log into our um, calls, Knight was always the first one there. And we would be able to have sort of our banter and talk about, you know, what was going on. So that was really nice just to ease into the project, you know, every time we logged in. And then she really was just, again, super supportive of my ideas. I think, Knight, you were very, very warm and coming to any of the ideas I had, even though I was so new to all of this and I was so unsure of myself. Both you and Keith were just so supportive. It gave me so much confidence. And even when I was done making the film and I sent you guys the first copy, I kind of expressed to you guys how, like I wrote this long email about all the problems with it 
and everything like basically I, I was scared when I shot it that I was going to have to reshoot the whole project and I was going to have to basically start from scratch all over again. And then the reception that I got from Knight and from Keith was just so positive, like, and so overwhelmingly, like, yeah, just positive. That's the only way I can describe it, really. It was just, yeah, it was fantastic. It's really good to hear. Second last question. What does the quarantine capsule mean to you? That's a good question. It means a lot. I think, first and foremost, the quarantine, pro- the quarantine capsule was an opportunity for me to be able to get back into making and being creative. So during the pandemic, it's been really hard to create and to feel like, you know, you're doing something that's really productive. I think that probably a lot of people have this issue with, you know, productivity during the quarantine. I don't think it's important that you know, we all feel like we are super productive because we are going through a pandemic and people are dealing with things that, you know, they've never had to deal with before. And so just adjusting and getting by is really enough right now. Um, But in terms of creating, I think I was having trouble just making things, not in terms of, you know, selling or being productive, but just practicing and engaging with my practice And so when this opportunity kind of came around, it really just gave me so much purpose and gave me so much enthusiasm and excitement to make something and start creating. And so I'm really thankful that, you know, this opportunity presented itself to me. And so the other day I was, you know, done the project and I was just looking through all the other submissions. And that's when I realized that like this project is just so much bigger than what it offered me in terms of my ability to create but all the art that I'm actually seeing and all the things I'm reading and listening to and watching on the QQ because I was going through them and it was like it was it was incredible the amount of you know people who also found a connection through their communities and their families and through other people with food there's you know just the other mentorship in the same program also talks about food and their connection to, you know, their cuisine. They're not Chinese they're Filipino, but you know, that's still something that's very similar to my project. And so seeing other people with similar feelings as I do, that's really, that's really important. And that's really relieving, right. Especially going through this quarantine. Um, And just, seeing everyone else's projects and submissions is again, just really, really comforting. Um, yeah. Knowing that these people are going through the same things that I am and um, just seeing the way that they react to it and the way that they respond to it is incredible. Yeah. I remember when we were having the conversation, you said you wanted to do something that was about connecting to your Cantonese and everything. And I feel like, you know, just doing the whole project itself, and how you were recording this for your grandma and creating like a memory. I feel like it's something that's going to last for a while. And that's like also another way to connect. Cause you also shared it with your family. So everyone's just like, Oh, we know about this moment too. And everyone can relate to it. Cause it's so relatable. Cause it's never just like cooking. It's never just, okay, put the eggplants in. I'm just going to sit and watch. It's always like, there's always gotta be some tea to be spilled, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's been such a nice project to, it's been, connecting in so many ways like like you said it wasn't just the 
project itself and the actual what you see in the video, but kind of all of the things that have happened since I shot the video and since I've started sharing the video, like all the, the responses I've got from other people about the video, um, like that itself is connection. The whole dynamic of sharing this video of my grandma with my family, like my cousin, like my aunts and uncles, my dad, right? Like my dad is a big part and topic in the video. And so I was scared sharing this video with him. But again, like that topic of conversation that's in the video, now we actually get to, you know, unpack it a little bit more in my family and talk about it. And that's important too. And that's because of this project. It was, we were unable to do that now. So yeah, just the amount of connections that I was able to, you know, just go through and that it kind of facilitated this project was unreal it's really awesome yeah I remember how you were like how am I gonna say all of this stuff in three four minutes and I'm like and Keith and I were like don't worry you'll be fine I remember we were just like you'll be fine I know it doesn't seem again it doesn't seem like a lot of time like I think the goal was supposed to be three minutes um and yeah it was it was definitely hard as I was recording with my grandma I was like okay, this is definitely not going to be three minutes long because I was like three minutes in and she was still talking about like, you know, the quality of the eggplant kind of thing. So it was definitely not going to be three minutes long. Again, like I said, it was closer to a half hour longer conversation. Um, and there's so many like sound bites that I wish I could have included in the video. But I think what I have is the closest to like the most important parts of it, at least. Yeah. Okay, final question. How can people see your art and connect with you online to follow your journey? Okay, so if you want to connect with me, you can connect with me via Instagram. So my handle is at um, Karen underscore KY Law. And then you can also see more of my artwork. So it won't be video storytelling, but it'll be my painting and printmaking. And you can visit me at KarenKYLaw.com. All right. Thank you very much, Karen, for sitting down and chatting with us today about your project Uh, I know personally I connected with it quite a bit and I'm sure many others who watch it will be able to connect with it too thank you so much for having me and Knight thank you so much for uh, creating the QQ so that I could be a part of it of course happy to have you you have a good day take care thank you bye guys Those are some fun interviews, Michael. They were, they were, the mentees are amazing people. Their works are just so powerful, so meaningful, and just, they resonate so much, especially in this time. So I'm glad that they got mentorship and I am glad that they were able to put out their pieces because their voices are very much needed. I agree. I'm happy that we were able to do this and I hope that other people can create opportunities like this. And so Michael, aside from that, let's let's shift gears. What about the food? Oh my god. So yes, back to our food feature, which is Chris Jerk at 2570 Birch Mount Road. You're gonna have to say that with food in your mouth, you know. Yes. <laughs> I'm almost finished my entire poutine, but Oh my God, it was, it was so good. The jerk chicken is so flavorful. The spices in them are great. There is a kick. It does not drown out the the cheese that's in here. So I can taste that too. And then the fries, just the the right amount of fries. And that Jamaican gravy. Oh God. Yeah. Mm. Oh oh man. Yeah. So again, we would like to say thank you to Chris Jerk for being our featured food feature on our podcast. 
So Michael, how can people find you? Well, you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Michael C. W. Chan and on my website at michaelchan.ca. And Knight, how can people connect with you or get you as a mentor? Oh, y'all can find me on Instagram at knight.win. And also you can just leave like, you know, a big bowl of Chris Jerk, you know, Jerk Chicken Schwan Poutine out and Michael will come running, you know? <laughs> I absolutely will come running. All right, everybody. We are in lockdown. We are in Again. lockdown. Things aren't going so well COVID-wise. We have to all stay safe. We have to all mask up. We have to all socially distance ourselves and stay home. Stay home as much as you can. It's it's so important that we all play our part. You know, if we're going to get through this, the only way, the only way is if we get through this together. So. As always, stay safe and stay, stay hungry. This has been Talking Myth Our Mouthful with Michael Chan and Nightingale Nguyen. Music by Harrison Amer, crafts by Janine Cantrell, photography by E, and voiceovers by me, Jessica Chan. If you enjoy our adventures, please consider following or subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Want to connect with us? Maybe even participate in our podcast? Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at, at TWMF Podcast. And as always, stay hungry.